Amen. Thanks, Matt. And thanks, Anna, for leading us in worship with your team there. My name is Tim, as Matt said. I, I, I don't know all of you. I know some of you. You're familiar to me. I, I, we live up in Whistler with my family. I, for most of our time up in Whistler, I served as the pastor of our Whistler Community Church for almost 18 years up there. And my family, we find ourselves in between. I want to say a little bit more to you about that in a minute. But I want to open the word with you today, and I want to speak to you today about finding a good church. And I hope that in your heart you feel like you found a good church, that you're in a good church, and I want to speak about some of the marks of being in a good church. But as we read here, I I want you to follow with me up on the screen or follow with me in the word in front of you. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Are we going? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. And selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, as, I, as we're here today, I was thinking about us being here in the Rock Church, and I was thinking about why you should listen to me say anything. And I, I was thinking about a few reasons that came to mind, and, and one is that I have served as a pastor in, in uh, one of our sister churches up in Whistler, and, and as I mentioned, I did that for a number of years. And, and so there is some kind of experience that comes around all of this and what we are together, and as we look at what Jesus says to us and what he gives to us in our lives. Uh, the second part that you've probably assumed, but I need to say to you, is that I have uh, a faith in Jesus. I love Jesus. I gave my life to Christ. I follow him with my heart, and I have had some years following him with my heart, but I have a simple faith in Jesus. And, and, and that brings something to the word as we look at it and try to understand it for ourselves. And the third thing I also realize as we come to look at the word and open it and understand it today is that regardless of who gets up to say anything, if we open the word and we begin to uncover what the word has to say to us, there is an authority and a power that comes from the word. And so it speaks not just good advice to us, it actually speaks into our lives and it shapes us if we'll let it. And almost anybody can speak out of the word, and the Lord can use that event. I think about the story in the Old Testament where the Lord was trying to get the attention of a prophet and used his donkey that he was riding on. Do you know that's one of the only two incidences in the word where we see animals talking, where we see creatures actually relating with humans? One is the donkey. Balaam's donkey, and the other is a serpent who spoke to a couple in a garden, and some of you know that story from from long ago, but it's not what we want to get into. So we come to you today 
uh, opening up the word and hoping that it will speak into our lives and help shape us. Uh, my son wasn't sure that, my son Luke wasn't sure he wanted to come back to House Sound today to meet as a church in House Sound because uh, the last time we were here, we were in the gym and our home team in Whistler, our senior basketball team was being uh, soundly beaten by the House Sound boys. So you guys can all cheer for that. We won't. And uh, we were here in the gym uh, getting, getting beaten. So humility in both rooms today, right? But we want uh, to look at what the Word says to us. And what I want to speak to you about is finding a good church. We've been in a, in a time in between in our lives as a family. Uh, so for many years, I was part of this church in Whistler. And then for 10 years prior to that, I was in a church called Willingdon Church in Burnaby, which continues to be one of the larger churches in our, in our province, and it's, it's still a, a good place for people to attend on Sunday mornings. And I came up to Whistler, was part of that, and, and during the last three and a half years, our, our family has been in between. And, you know, one of the reasons that I'm with you here today is, is because we're still in between, and and we most recently had a, a church that we were considering being part of on Vancouver Island. And, and you need to know around church life is sometimes we move really slowly in church life. And we actually get to where we want to go more quickly if we go a little bit slower. And, and we were considering this church on Vancouver Island. And we'd been, we'd been in contact with them in the summer in July. And, and in the fall, they posted a job description and and so we applied for the job description, and they said, well, we've, we've shortlisted you for the job description, and we went through a three-hour Skype interview for, during this process, and then they said, well, we actually want you to candidate, which means that we're first in line for this church that wants to uh, have us consider coming to be the pastor in, on, the Van- on Vancouver Island. And, and so uh, three days before we were supposed to go over in the first Sunday in February, uh, we were going through the licensing process, and we hit, I hit a roadblock. And I don't want to go through all the details of the roadblock in the licensing process, but I realized I, I actually couldn't keep going forward. And so this thing that we'd been considering for, for six or seven months in our lives, we, we were stopped at the 11th hour. So the Tuesday before, we were supposed to go over on the Friday to meet with the group and uh, it stopped. And so uh, that left us kind of wondering what to do next, and we still trust the Lord. We believe that he wants to lead us, and so we are, we are waiting to see what he has next in store for us. And so that's why we're here today, and I, during this whole time, what we've been doing is visiting a lot of churches. I want to speak to you today about finding a good church. When I think about the marks of a good church and what it means to be part of a good church, I, I want to suggest that there's at least three ways that you know that you are part of a good church. And I was thinking about the times we, time we've spent in the last three and a half years, and sometimes we've drifted down here and, and met with you here in Squamish at the Rock, and sometimes we've, we've gone up north to Pemberton, and, and uh, we know a lot of people that have you know, left Whistler for Pemberton, and so we feel like we have a home church here, we have a home church there, and we have a home church in different places. And for the first six months of 2016, I was actually serving as an interim pastor in North Delta at a church down there, and we loved that group as well. And so we have these home churches, and we've had a chance to be part of 
more than 20 different kinds of churches where we visited or spoken uh, during this last three and a half months. So we've seen a lot of different kinds of places. And some churches are larger, some churches are smaller. And in all of that, I want to suggest some things to you about church. And, and when we start with church, we look at Acts chapter 2, and, and it describes what the life was like in this first church in Acts chapter 2. I don't know if, maybe this is the time in your life where you feel like you're in the middle of an Acts chapter 2 kind of experience, but there are times in our lives that, that kind of lift off the page around church, and, and we feel like we're right in the middle of something that is, it seems to be firing on all cylinders. Everything that we want it to be or think it might be seems to be happening at a point in our lives. You know, for some of us, uh, we experience this kind of life in the middle of a Christian camp. For other people, we experience it when, when we maybe go to a Bible school for the first time or, or we're in the middle of a, a Christian university experience for the first time or, or, or we, have, we have come to a, a church that we, we feel at home in. And there are times and seasons where we experience all of that. I think about our, our, our young adult season of, uh, our season of glory. <laughs> Do you call it glory? Our, our young adult, when our young adults were, were, were full of life and there was something wonderful happening up in Whistler and, 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 the, and guys would get together for meals together and then they'd meet and they'd have this great event and it, it almost became its own separate church that would meet because, because there was so much life that was spilling out of it. And it was such a good experience and so, so full. And in the middle of it, there was something good and spiritual taking place. But So let me, let me say this about good church and finding a good church. What I mean about, when I talk about finding a good church, I'm not talking about a church that has a lot of programs versus a few programs. I mean... We like it when there are things going on around our churches, but it doesn't mean that, that if your church has lots of programs that you can point to that it makes it a good church rather than not a good church. I read a book this last year by Craig Greshel, and I didn't know this when I was reading the book, but apparently uh, Life Church, Life.Church is the largest church right now in the United States. It's uh, Oklahoma, I think it's Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Craig Greshel is the pastor of that church, and, and he talks about it. And that sometimes, and I, wanna, I want us to see that on, on, the, on the screen here in a, in a few minutes here, but uh, Craig Greshel talks about how there are some churches where you go to it, you, you, just, you just feel like they have it. And he talks about his own church experience and how there are times when his church had it, and then there are times where something just disappeared, and then there are times where it came back. And, and so it's not something that you can say, well, if you do this program and these five programs, then your church has it. It doesn't quite happen like that. It, it's that churches... It doesn't mean that, that, that they have it when they are larger churches, or it doesn't mean that they have it when they are smaller churches. There are good churches that, good churches naturally grow, but there, there are small churches that are great churches, and there are large churches that are great churches. And it's not the difference between churches that are like contemporary cell, cell phone website, pastor tweeting kind of churches 
versus the traditional landline printout, look at our building kind of churches. It's not that difference. You know, I was in a, a more contemporary kind of church recently, and what we noticed is that everyone on the platform was wearing jeans and a plaid shirt. So it was a hip kind of church because everyone was in jeans and a plaid shirt. You notice I, I deliberately didn't put jeans and a plaid shirt on this morning. But it, what we noticed is that everybody just wore the same thing, right? So churches, you can change one way of being for another way of being, but it doesn't mean that you've now finally got it because you know about plaid and you know about jeans. Now, don't give Glenn too hard a time if next week he shows up in plaid and jeans on, on Sunday morning. What I want you to see is that there are churches that, that look really contemporary, but you, when you are a part of them or when we visited them, it feels like there's something missing. And then there are churches that, that may look very traditional, but there's not, there's something there. A church isn't a good church just because it's been a good church in the past. During my studies, at one point, I picked up a book written by James Hefley, and it was, it was, the book was called 16 Unique Evangelical Churches. And what the author did is he looked at 16 churches in the 1970s that were leading churches in North America at that time. And you know what I find interesting about that book? Not one of you would recognize one of those names today. And so sometimes churches have done, done something and they've had this great season of life at one point and something else has shifted. Sometimes churches may even have good centuries. And I was talking with uh, a friend of mine who found himself in, in another church after he'd been in one church for a long time. He'd come to a new church and and he was speaking about his, his experience in that church, and he was saying how he, he wanted to bring the church into the 20th century. And, uh, and a friend of his said to him, well, don't you mean the 21st century? And the pastor said to him, well, we're going to work on one century at a time. Sometimes what happens is, is, is we get an idea of something that might work, and it just doesn't work. So let me give you three signs. Number one, in a good church. In a good church, it feels like family. A good church feels like you are exactly in the room in which you belong. When I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 49, it doesn't seem to me like they had to schedule anything. What they did is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and they just kept showing up. One of the things that happens when there is a work of God taking place in a group of people or in our hearts is that no one has to tell us that we have to be somewhere. There's something in our hearts that just says, I really want to be there. You experience that? Now, sometimes we're so good at scheduling our lives that that, that it sort of schedules the work of the Lord out of our lives because we're so good at scheduling him into a corner of our lives. And what he wants to do is, is he wants to be the schedule. 
And so, you know, and you've perhaps been in places where you've seen people devoted to the apostles, teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. You've seen people involved in that kind of stuff. And yet, they might not see something more taking place. A good church feels like family. The same author that I quoted recently, there's a quote up there that I want you to see. It's by Craig Greshel. He says, the best explanation I can give you is this. It's what God does through a rare combination of these qualities found in his people. Passion for his presence, a deep craving to reach the lost, sincere integrity, spirit-filled faith, down-to-earth humility, brokenness. What I find interesting is he misses a piece. And, and, I, and he's, he speaks to far more people, and, and he has a great experience there. And I, I love what he's doing, and I love reading his book and reading his humility in his book. I want to say that, he, that there, there is one thing that he doesn't mention, and it's this. One thing among many. But he says he doesn't speak about the family. See, when you get to a church that's good church, it feels like you're where you belong. I remember one Sunday morning, a man came and sat in the back row. This is up in Whistler. And after our Sunday meeting was over, he came up to me and he said, do you know, do you know how when you get to a place and you feel like you've come home? It's the first time he'd ever been there. And we prayed together. And what he was describing is, that, is his coming home. And he ended up being baptized and joining our church up in Whistler and, and being part of us. And there was something that he felt when he arrived in the room that felt like home. You know, one of the things that happens in church life, and, and I want to say this coming out of a family where I love my parents, my parents led us toward Jesus, and I say this with, you know, out of largely good relationships with my brothers and sisters and and having just a, a real full life in the faith and in the family as I was growing up, church trumps family. Jesus has a way of building something that, that makes us feel like we have brothers and sisters that we may not even have, grow, have grown up with. What he does is, is he actually builds single people into families. And he gives us a tribe of uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and nephews and nieces that we may not have had on our own. And in fact, if he's doing his work among us, we may find that we actually feel more at home in this room than we might at our family table that we grew up at. And it's not that I wish a bad family table for you. I want that to be good. I want you to love that. Don't not love your kids because of what I'm saying here today. I'm just telling you that that Jesus gives us an affection for brothers and sisters in Christ that that makes our own families of origin, they're not quite as significant anymore. You know, one, one of the things that I love about church is that church is the way I attach my life into the present and onto the future. Ancestry.com is how I find my significance in who my ancestors might have been. It kind of intrigues me that people want to find their significance by who your ancestors were. I, I, I want to attach to the future and to what... I can live into 
as I follow Jesus in the middle of a group of people. Church feels like family. Good church feels like family. It feels like where we belong, and it's our identity going forward, and it's what we can all be invited into. Some of us, uh, we can take the families that we grew up in, and we can use those as reasons to divide us from the people that we live among. And what Jesus does is he says, I have something else for you. I, I want to invite you into a family that you can live forward to from here. A good church feels like good family. The second thing you find in a good church is that people become Christians. And now, I understand that in that life of faith and in what Jesus calls us to, there are little decisions we make all the time. We make week after week, and we make them in groups and around groups and how we re- relate with people. And, and there, there's, there's uh, you want to put that slide up there, people feel like they belong. The next one is people begin to believe in Jesus. And there's a writer, Alan Hirsch, who in his book, The Forgotten Ways, does a great job of describing how Sometimes when people are considering Jesus, they may be at 10% of of any kind of interest in Jesus, and there are other people that are at like a 90% at at how much they want to follow Jesus and how much he influences every part of their lives. But at some point in that continuum, there's a time and a place where people cross over from death to life. I love what what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him, all right? So no one, no one comes to the living God and into that relationship unless the Lord is drawing that person home. But we also know this. John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged and then this phrase, but has crossed over from death to life. John 5, 24. He has crossed over from death to life. So I don't cross over from death to life on the day that I die and finally meet Jesus. I actually have already crossed over from death to life because I have received his forgiveness. And I am now living in that everlasting life that one day I will see in fullness and experience in fullness. So there is a point in someone's life where, where they, something shifts, and that may be, that may be a, 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 what seems like a simple and an innocent decision one day in the middle of many days, or it may be a decision that results in a 180-degree in a turnaround in somebody's life and in the direction that they're going. But the good news and what Jesus continued to speak to people when he was around, he says he commands people everywhere. This is what Paul says in Acts Chapter 17, verse 30, is that he commands people everywhere to repent. And John speaks about forgiveness and repentance and how people need to repent. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, I'm sorry, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, how people needed to turn around to change their mind about who Jesus is. At some point, we see a shift that takes place, and we make a different decision about Christ and choose to place our faith in him. You know, let me just say this morning that, 
that uh, sometimes we can be part of the, the great Christian enterprise or tradition, or we can be very familiar with the church experience, but we have not made our own decision around Jesus. And, and I would love to help you do that if you have not done that yet, and it's to say something like, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, and I believe that you rose from the dead. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I'm, I'm the one that needs that forgiveness. So I ask you to forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and lead me and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. You know, as I, even as I'm saying that, if, if that's something that seems like something you want to pray today, I'd love to pray that with you here following our meeting this morning. But whether you get to this decision when you are 5 or 15 or 45 or 75, that's a decision that is a step from death to life. And there are many decisions that are on that way, but that decision keeps a group in the right direction, keeps a group focused in the right direction. When people make this decision or when sometimes people are told that they need to make the decision or asked if they'd like to make the decision, it, it sometimes risks a friendship. I can think of a friend up in Whistler who uh, came to our town, and I, some of you may know him. I'll just introduce him as, as the high school chess champion of Ontario. And he came to Whistler, and, you know, the way that many people do, they just come, and they come for a season, and to disappear for a season. And, and he had some familiar, familiarity with, uh, with Christian groups, and, and so he sort of came around our church and liked what was going on in our church. And I remember we were sitting one day and having a cup of coffee on a Sunday afternoon, and he said to me, he said, uh, yeah, we were t- chatting, and I said at one point in the conversation, well, that sounds like a decision you still need to make. Because he was describing what his life was like, and, and uh, he's a fine, fine young man, enjoying Whistler and what was going on. And he said uh, he wasn't sure he wanted to make that. In fact, as we were chatting, he, he, actually, uh, he actually was a little bit upset with me. He didn't like it that I told him that he needed to make a decision. And so we were having another meeting that night, and... Uh, after the meeting, he came up to me and he said, uh, I think I need to make that decision. And that day, he prayed and received Christ. You know, he returned 15 years later, this past, was it this past summer or the summer before, with his wife and two kids from San Francisco. And I think the reason he came was he came back to tell me that he remembers praying, and that's when he decided about Jesus. Living with his wife and, and two kids now down in San Francisco and, the, and uh, working, at, uh, working at a good job and, and loves his life down there, is involved in church down there. But he came back to say, that's when I made my decision. And you know, those aren't always comfortable conversations. Some of us like to be the encouragers that are always encouraging people along the right track. And some of us, we just need to say, well, there is something else in the conversation that needs to happen. But this decision is an important one, and it's a decision that begins to change 
everything for people. We love the story of Jesus and what Jesus can produce. I love what's, what it says there in Acts chapter 2 about the kind of life that he gives people together and, and how much they wanted to be with each other and how it, it says in there, it says there that the Lord add, added to their number daily those who were being saved. Or that, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In, in another place, Oh, yeah, sorry, down at the bottom of that passage there, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And there was something that was going on, and it was making a difference. And, and the reason I want to mention this is because sometimes when we think about church and our life together, uh, some of us are really good at being part of the communities that we're part of, and some of us are really good at being really clear about Jesus. Are you following me as I'm saying this? And, and for some of us, we, we need to move closer to the communities that we're part of. And for those of us that are right in the middle of the communities, we sometimes need the courage to say the right thing about Jesus. And that's not always easy. But in a good church, what we'll find is that at some points in our lives, we'll see that people come to that faith in Jesus. It doesn't happen all the time. I've not experienced that happening in my life all the time. And at the same time, I want to continue to be faithful and to step into what the Lord puts in front of me, not just when I happen to be in the role of someone who's a pastor, but actually any time he wants to lead me as I am a Christian following Jesus now in Whistler. In a good church, we see people cross over from death to life. We are the kind of people in the community that, with the right word, lead people toward what is the best thing about any community. You know, I say that we're in between time, and what I want to tell you about my wife, Jeanette, and I is that, you know, we love Jesus. We both love Jesus. And we love church. You know, even, even lousy church, we like church. <laughs> you know, can you say that? Are you supposed to say every church you go to is a good church? You know, we just, we just love church. And, and I've said this before, and maybe I've said it here before, but, you know, if you give me a choice between, between Canucks tickets and a church service, I, I pick church. Uh, you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have to have that same opinion yet. <laughs> or maybe never, <laughs> but, but, and it's not about how well or not poorly the Canucks are playing. It's, there's just something different in my heart. When I, when I get to church, whatever town that we happen to be in, it's like we're stepping into the real game in a place. We're part of what's really living in a place, and, and we get to places where we visit or, or go on vacation, and we find a church, and then, and then we have a home base, in the place if we happen to go back. See, this is life. Church, when we get to it, isn't intended to feel like medicine that I need for the rest of the week. It's intended to feel like the biggest part of life in the whole week. Because Jesus is life. 
you know, you know, he's your favorite cake. He's not Buckley's mixture. You understand? I mean, some of you may need some Buckley's mixture. But, but that's not really what Jesus has come to give us. He's come, he's come to be just like this, this fullness and this, this fire hydrant of love and joy and peace that, that we get this glimpse of from time to time when we meet together as church. And that brings me to my third point, is that a church feels like family. People come to faith in Christ. But finally, in good church, something happens. I don't know if you thought about that on your way to church here this morning, but as the church lives and grows and is open to Jesus doing his work in us and through us, something happens. It happens as we are gathered. It happens when we are scattered in the rest of the week. But there is something going on that's not just spiritual language for the natural story that everybody else around us is already living. Want me to say that again? We are not just speaking in spiritual language about the natural things that everybody else around us is living. You know, I know what it is to have kids and to have kids growing up and to love watching my kids wherever they are and to, you know, think my kids are the greatest and gifted and all that kind of stuff and, and great basketball players. And, and, and that's a kid language. That's the kid parenting life. We get it. We understand that there's a work kind of life. We understand that there's a recreational kind of life and how deep the snow is this week. But you know, in the middle of it, there's a far more important story that's being told. And it's what Jesus is at work doing in any place where we find ourselves. You know, Paul said this twice to the church in Corinth, and it's up on the screen here, but... Paul, when he describes his, his work among the Corinthian church or in Corinth, is he says, my message to you was not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. What Paul is saying is he's saying, we get what wisdom is. We get that people no important things and no important principles. And in other places in the Bible, you'll find whole books uh, about wisdom. In my personal reading right now these days, I'm reading in the Proverbs. And the Proverbs is just couplet after couplet of great wise sayings that are helpful to us if we live according to the wisdom of the prophets. And it's using the same, same idea. It's all wisdom, Right? It's not wrong to try to be persuasive with the people around them. You see the passage up there. Came to you, brothers. I did not come to you. Where is it? Uh, at the bottom. The next section there, my speech and my message, were not in plausible words of wisdom. Sometimes that's called uh, wise and persuasive words. So the two words there, one is wisdom, and the other word is, is trying to persuade people. And in other places in the book of Acts, Paul talks about how he tries to persuade people in order to believe in Jesus. And so it's not wrong to persuade. It's not wrong to have wisdom. 
In Acts chapter 13, it says, Paul and Barnabas talked with them and urged them or persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And so it, those, are, those are two great words. But what Paul says, you know, there was something else. Remember that the reason you came to this, it wasn't because of my great arguments and it wasn't because of how great a salesman I was. It was because you saw a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And just to remind us and to remind the Corinthian church, Paul doesn't say this one time to them. He actually says this twice in the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 4, verse 20, he says the same thing again. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So it's not wrong to have wisdom. It's not wrong to to try to persuade something of something good or beneficial. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I need to say this carefully because there are teachers in the room. But I live next to the great educational enterprise. My wife is a public school teacher. And I see competent teachers teaching competent values. And there's great potential in all the students that are there. And, and, and there's this, this pursuit of, of education and building people up and, and becoming lifelong learners. And what's the other one? Uh, oh, yeah, growth mindset and having a growth mindset in your life. And, and if you're around the enterprise, you begin to hear these kinds of words that, that, are, that all are, are, sound wonderful and wise and persuasive. What Paul says to the Corinthians is that what you needed to see and what convinced you is the power of Jesus. What convinced you is not having all the right ideas and being in the right place and having all the right supports in place so that you could lead everybody forward. It's that even with all of that, sometimes you realize it just doesn't work. And what we need and what we see and what Jesus has come to give us is also a demonstration of power. And so what we see in Jesus is that he comes to to give us a different kind of character that we didn't have on our own. So it's fine to talk about all the values, but if you have somebody in the system that actually doesn't want to live by that value, you can't make them live by it. If If you lead someone to all the values by which they could have good relationships and they don't have the power to have those good relationships on their own, then the relationships eventually break down. Paul says, I came to you with a demonstration of power. Something happened. Did you ever notice that about the story of, have you noticed that about the story of Jesus? As we're told Jesus' story, we see him meeting person after person, and in almost all of the incidents, something happens. When Jesus comes alongside somebody, something happens. Someone gets healed Someone gets led. Someone is instructed. Someone sees their life changed forever because they have come alongside of Jesus. 
Something happens. We see people whose character changes. We see that the, the Spirit sometimes wants to lead us. Not just that we have good ideas about what we should organize as a group, but that we need to be led by the Spirit. Uh, we were on a family trip in 2014, and our van was, was on its last legs. We were at about 350,000 kilometers, and, and uh, we got to Spokane, and we were on our way back west, and then the, we started hearing this banging out of the muffler, and uh, it was a short trip. We went through Calgary, then down through Spokane, and we were going to come back up. And, and we knew that the van needed tons of work, but, you know, we love to go on road trips, and so we were on this road trip, and we're in the middle of nowhere. If you've been on that road, it's I-90, I think, between Spokane and Seattle, and there's nothing on that road, right? And we get outside of Spokane, and we're driving, and all of a sudden, we start hearing this, bam, 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 and I'm just hoping it's the muffler, right? The muffler hasn't, hasn't gone on the van yet, so we might as well have the muffler go, and then we'll have replaced everything on the van, right? <laughs> We thought, well, if the transmission goes, we're going we're gonna to get rid of the van. But that's, so that's where we were in the life of our van. And, and we're driving along the road. And it is getting louder and louder. And my wife is driving. And so she's at fault in all this story. And, and so we're on the road. And we get an hour out there to, uh, out of uh, Spokane to a place called Moses Lake. And the van is going bang, 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 bang. And we just kind of pull into this to this gas station, and as we pull into the gas station, I get a text on my, on the phone, on my phone from my sister. You have to understand, my sister doesn't text me. Like, she texts me maybe, like, like, like maybe the, the one before that was a month prior to that, right? So we're not back and forth. Like, some of you have friends where you're texting all day, and you're back and forth, blah, 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 you know, how... Uh, you're part of that new church, those new churches. Well, well, we don't do that. And so if it's a month that, since, I, before I, I, since I've heard from her previously, I, I don't know how long it was, but I get to the gas station, and as I pull into the gas station, boom, this text comes on, and it says, where are you guys? And I text her back saying, well, our van just broke down, and we're in Moses Lake, Washington. Well, the rest of the story, and there's great details in the story I'm not going to go into, but it's that she, they ended up coming and picking us up from Vancouver the next day and driving us all the way back to Vancouver because we had to bury our van with the blown engine in Moses Lake, Washington. You know what I want you to see in that? There's an appointment in that story. There's a spiritual appointment in that story. It's not just about that we broke, our van broke down and we had to arrange to get transport back to Vancouver. There was a spiritual story in that van, van story. The Lord was superintending something to rescue us out of Moses Lake and get us back to Vancouver. And, and she even asked me during the process, she said, you know, if we hadn't texted you, what would you have done? And I... I didn't know. You know, we would have hopped on a bus and gone back to Vancouver, bought a better van. I, you know how the Lord has appointments in our lives that aren't the things that you've organized, and they're not because you're the most careful person or because you're the person with everything in control. It's because he just wants to lead you in your life. There are miracles that the Lord wants to do in our lives. There are still miracles that he wants to do among us.
Some of us are, are more uh, comfortable talking about the miracles that we heard he did in the Philippines somewhere out of a friend of ours, right? But you know that sometimes he wants to do a miracle in our lives, in Squamish, in our week. It's a demonstration of his power, not of our great organization or salesmanship, or because we set it up. It's just because he is so good to us and he loves us so much. And there are times where he needs to do something that's just beyond the normal process and the normal way that he takes care of us every day and week of our lives as we love him with our whole hearts. Something happens. And so when I think about church and what it means to be part of a good church, I want to suggest three things to you this morning. Number one, it feels like family. Number two, people cross over from death to life, and they go from a place of no hope to finding him. And number three, something happens. The spirit demonstrates his power. And we see the character, and we see his gifting, and we see a miracle or a sign or a leading that's from him. And what he wants us to do around all of this is he wants us to ask and to keep our eyes open to what he wants to do around us. To keep our eyes open to what the real story and the real game in a town is. And then to be willing to ask. Think of this one church leader, the way he tells his stories. He says that in 1977, well, he saw in the word that you should pray for people. And in his life and in his experience, it was most specifically around people finding healing. And so he began to pray for people that they would be healed. And for 10 months, nothing happened. But he was just being obedient to what the Lord, to what he saw in the word and what he felt the Lord was leading him to experience. And then people began to be healed. So my encouragement to you this morning is is to ask. Is to ask the Lord for what he wants to do next. And to be open to what he wants to do. Because the Lord builds churches in which something happens. 